This is Guilty Conscience, casual discussions on transfer pricing, tax treaties, and related topics. A podcast from Skadden that invites thought leaders and industry experts to discuss pressing transfer pricing issues, international tax reform efforts, and tax administration trends. We also dig into the innovative approaches companies are using to navigate the international tax environment and address the obligation everyone loves to hate. Now your hosts, Skadden Partners, David Farhat and Nate Carter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Guilty Conscience. As usual, Nate Carden here with David Farhat, Stefan Victor, Amon Kyler is out. Today, we're doing another of our Spotlight series focusing on opportunities to think about doing good in tax through pro bono. And we're joined by Skadden's own Jared Binstock and Sinisa Griffiths, who are going to talk to us about some of their pro bono experiences. Jared, Sinisa, welcome. Why don't you start a little bit, Jared, talking about some of your pro bono experiences, not just what you've done, but also kind of what motivates you to do them in your spare time. Sure. And tell us a bit about yourself as well, Jared. I'm Jared Binstock, tax counsel. I've done, I would say, one of my kind of favorite parts about practicing tax has been the experience that I've had in pro bono, because it's it's just one of those areas for myself where... I can kind of practice, you know, and use the, you know, my tax experience, things I, you know, use in my day to day, but on a really individual level, really kind of dealing with people kind of on the ground in communities, really sort of like trying to make a difference. And it's been, it's been fantastic to have the opportunity to do that. I tend to, to, to do a lot of work in the nonprofit space. So working with tax exempt organizations, 501c3s, 501c4s. You know, these are organizations that are, you know, because because of their kind of charitable missions, don't pay, you know, or don't pay any tax, and so are subject to special rules that allow them to to to, to do that. So I, you know, I over the years have worked on, with a number of organizations and groups of people who want to start nonprofits, and so there's a kind of a whole industry of forming tax exempt organizations, getting them up and running, kind of helping them navigate the tax rules. And so we've probably worked on you know dozens, if not if not more, of those sort of incorporations. And then, on, as in the life cycle of a charity, oftentimes the you know the world changes, the facts on the ground change. There are organizations like to be kind of nimble and reactive to like current events. And so we get a lot of questions about, hey, you know, when we started this charity, we were doing X, Y, and Z, and now we want to do. A, B, and C, and kind of get into different areas. Can we do that within a tax exempt organization? And so we spend a lot of time, you know, advising clients on like what is permissible for a charity. What what are we allowed to do? And while a lot of that kind of seems tech, a bit technical in nature, it's tax. We're kind of looking at the tax rules. It's been really interesting because like the types of organizations and and people that kind of run and you know start and then run these organizations has been fascinating. I mean, people in the Worked in areas like organizations focused on women's rights, on on anti racism and, and DEI, on uh, filmmaking, restaurant industry, mental health, all different types of of groups, and you know, and these people are really passionate about what they do, and so trying to kind of find a way to navigate the tax rules that allow them to fundraise and to kind of you know actually make a difference has been has been really great. So a quick question, Jared. One of the things we've talked about in our in our pro bono spotlight is uh, kind of the complexity between your regular tax job and what you do in pro bono. 
So how do you find that between your pro bono work and the work you do as a, you know, big time tax attorney? How is the, what is the complexity relative to your, your, your day job, so to speak? You know, David, I'd say they're kind of right in line with each other. One of the kind of ways in which I've navigated pro bono over the years is, you know, because a lot of the pro bono work is focused on tax exempt issues through pro bono, through projects where you're not billing by the hour, right? You're not kind of, you're not sending, sending a bill to a client. It allows you a different types of flex, a type of flexibility in, in terms of how much time you can spend on something and what the costs are, right? And so I've been able to use that as, you know, a way to educate myself in the tax exempt space, right? I've, I've kind of developed a lot of experience in the charity space and, you know, have then been able to apply that in my non pro bono work. I, over the years, have done a lot of work for larger tax exempt organizations, foundations, you know, then paying clients who face a lot of the same issues. And so there's been a lot of overlap between the two. I really kind of don't view them as as really distinct. I view myself as someone who does a lot of tax-exempt organization work for pro bono clients and for paying clients. Yeah, and it, I think that's a great point to make, Jared, because as we try to, part of the, the, the reason for the Spotlight Series is to encourage more tax attorneys to do pro bono work. And I think you, you hit on two very good things there. One, the complexity of the work to show the need for tax attorneys to kind of be, be more involved because not just because it's, it's pro bono means it's easier, right? It takes some of the same, the same mental acuity to do that as it does a day job. And also the benefit that a person gets outside of the moral and doing the right thing side, it, it gets you to sharpen your, your skill set as well while, while you're doing pro bono. You laid it out nicely. You're not under the same billable hour pressure, so it gives you time to kind of dive in and get a bit better. If you can kind of just give us an example, maybe walk through one project or just kind of the typical project that you've worked on, the things you do, your interaction with the pro bono client, things of that nature. It's usually we're working with our colleagues in other practice areas. Oftentimes, it's like a corporate attorney who is helping kind of actually just set up the legal entity do all of the governance paperwork, like filing articles of incorporation, figuring out the governance and bylaws, you know, how the board is going to function, who the officers are going to be, and all of the kind of typical governance issues that you deal with in, in forming an entity. And on the tax side, well, you know, we help with all of that. So part of our work in, in advising a client often is kind of what you would do with in any business kind of what is your business plan? Like, what, what are the activities you want to be engaged in and how are you intending to fund that? And the reason why we ask all those questions is because the IRS wants to know. And so in, in forming a, a charity, there's an application process you go through with the IRS. And I'm talking specifically about 501c3 organizations. These are organizations that are charitable or educational or scientific and, and kind of fit within a, a specific type of not. There's a whole range of different types of nonprofits or entities or tax exempts that do not pay tax. 501c3s are special because donations or funding of those nonprofits can be tax deductible to donors. And so they're given a lot a lot more latitude in fundraiser. They're able to fundraise a lot more because they can bring in tax deductible donations, right? We all make tax deductible donations to various charities, hopefully. And you know, because of that, they're subject to, to additional restrictions, right? The, the government doesn't want to kind of subsidize these organizations with the with tax deductible donations and then let people go out and benefit private interests, insiders, all of that kind of stuff, right? The, the, the tax rules are sort of focused on making sure that the, the money that's coming in is used to benefit the public or for the charitable mission and not for private interests. 
And so going into that application, the kind of typical approach is you draft up a narrative of the specific activities that you're going to undertake. A, you put together a financial statements, so a perspective, profit and loss statements, balance sheets, go to what you expect to bring in and how you expect to spend your money over a certain period of time. And so a lot of you know what we advise is kind of helping the client navigate that application then going into the IRS and applying and kind of, you know, hopefully getting a, a tax exemption. The applications, as folks on uh, you all might know, are, are, you know, not the most clear cut. Questions are not are, are not always as easily understood for people not versed in this stuff. So, so we spend a lot of time with clients really getting them to kind of focus on what they want to do, really craft a kind of a clear and concise business plan and how they, you know, intend to finance it going forward. Sinisa, how about you? When your your day job and also how that day job connects to what you do pro bono? Yeah, Jared was part of my introduction to tax pro bono. And as a summer, I worked on a 501c3 formation with him. And that was the first time I knew pro bono could involve something other than like asylum or domestic violence. Um, and so in my practice, I have tried to maintain doing some tax-specific pro bono um, which includes 501c3 formation, but also things like um, amended returns for veterans who were wrongfully taxed on a disability severance package, or helping exonerees figure out how to get their wrongful incarceration restitution payments tax-free, which is allowed under Section 139F. And when I can I just say that Sanisa did such a better job than I did on that first project. They invited her to join the board. <laughs> that is true. I am now on the board of a nonprofit. Um, Jared, I will say, roping me in uh, to a pro bono representation. Um, and I still help them out. And it's a lot of fun. And they do some UN work. So let's talk about that. Talk about that project a bit more. That, that That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. This particular uh, client um, does work in Dalit communities, which underrepresented minorities in India. And their real mission is to help those populations become integrated with um, their communities. Um, and they've actually expanded it beyond India. So there are Dalit-type communities in Asia, in Africa, and in Eastern Europe, um, which they assist. And they currently have proposals to the UN where they can help integrate these people more fully into their societies. And so it really is anti-caste work, um, which is quite amazing. Okay. So what's the tax angle to that with the with the Dalit communities? Yeah. So the specific tax angle was helping with their 501c3 formation. So we helped them form in the U.S. and then get them registered in the few states that they were operating. And since then, I have not really been, and there were a few employment-related issues um, related to the work that certain members of the board and the actual entity were doing in the U.S. because they weren't U.S. citizens. So those are kind of the legal issues, and now I just do regular board work. How'd you find them? We found them as we find many of our pro bono clients through Fred Goldberg. He's, as you guys know, very active in, in the nonprofit space and successful in trying to change the world. And so, you know, he's got relationships all over the place. And so oftentimes, you know, people who know him from, you know, various places in business or in tax will come in and and ask for assistance. So I like this idea that's been floating around of tax attorney by day and Justice League of pro bono by night. But have you guys worked on any projects where the need for tax assistance was not 
like immediately obvious and how what role did you play in that and how did the tax aspect of those pro bono projects come up that's an interesting question i can't readily think of one uh, but that doesn't mean there aren't projects like guardian ad litem projects i've done where i don't think um that our client wouldn't benefit from some sort of tax assistance um particularly maybe in like the vita space i haven't personally had the opportunity to kind of find a tax issue and assist um going forward but taking that question a, a step further it sounds like no matter what kind of charity work or work you're doing, do-gooder type work, save the world type work, it seems all of it has a tax angle. Because you're doing the 501c3 work, you're setting this up, you're getting folks good with the IRS. If they're going to be accepting donations, there is a tax angle to this that has to be kind of worked out. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I think, at least in my practice, given that I'm mostly working with tax-exempt organizations, you know, sometimes they're just looking at doing some sort of a transaction, right? So they're like we've done, and this goes back to kind of the overlap between and pro bono work. You know, sometimes we get M and A transactions, right, where you've got two tax exempts who want to who want to merge. Maybe one of them is going out of existence and wants to donate the rest. You know, what whatever its remaining assets or contracts to a different organization. And so there's a lot of overlap. You know, in that case between what we might do on a, you know, in a, on our day to day, right. We do an M and a transaction. We talk to companies who are, who are buying or selling assets or, or having, or being acquired. And so the same, you know, the same principles, the same kind of similar issues pop up for, for nonprofits. But when you're dealing with a nonprofit, they know that they should always ask the tax question, right? If we want to do this commercial transaction, what does that mean from a tax perspective? We want to make like their key asset is their exemption. And so no one ever wants to do anything to jeopardize that, right? I had a call earlier today with an organization who owns a building. They've owned a building for like 40 years. And because people are starting to work, you know, or have been working remotely, right, and not coming into the office as much, they don't need all the space. And so maybe they want to lease out some of their office space, you know, just a regular commercial transaction, or they might want to sell their building, right? And hey, what does that mean for our federal exemption? Like, is this going to be taxable to us as unrelated business income? What does this mean from our for our state and local tax exemptions, right? We have property tax exemptions, you know, et cetera. And so if we want to kind of lease this out, is, is that going to affect that? So in my experience, tax is always, even from the, not the non-tax people, right? The general counsel chaired at the nonprofit, they know what's the tax impact of this. So it's, it's often pretty apparent, but yeah, it's an interesting question. I just want to jump in here because I, at one of the veterans rights pro bono projects that I got involved with kind of came across because the firm itself had been helping, helping this veteran rights organization. And then in 2016, Congress passed a law that said, um, if you were getting disability payments, they're supposed to be tax-free and it was retroactive to 1999. And so organization said, hey, there's some standard refund about, but we think these people might be entitled to much more. Will you help um, actually do individual returns? And I, there were a group of maybe four of us that were working on these, and we each had at least five. And I think that on its face, whatever veterans assistance we had previously been doing was not tax-related, but they knew that we had a tax practice at Scadden and so called us in when they did this particular piece of legislation that was going to affect their constituents and call this in to help. Yeah, I, I would say that kind of triggered a thought because oftentimes we'll get a question, hey, we want to start this program. We're going to 
provide ex- services to individuals or we're going to provide grants to individuals. And so, you know, the question, is this a charitable activity? Will this jeopardize my tax exemption? It's one question, but what does that mean for the actual donees, right? Is that is that income for people, right? And so sometimes, you know, that question is not apparent to the organization. Is this taxable income to the ultimate recipients, right? To the individuals who are being helped and served? Does that mean we need to send them 1099s every year, right? Like all of that stuff are questions that come up that we then, you know, may issue spot that are not always not always the questions that come in initially when we're when we're talking about the engagement or the matter. So it can branch out to different things. This could be this will be a obviously very personal thing, but for listeners who are like, wow, there's a lot of different opportunities. I've listened to a bunch of these spotlights, whatever. How should I think about picking pro bono projects in tax to focus on? What would your advice be? I always found it helpful to assist like in the 501c3 formation with issues I care about. And so I shouldn't say that I don't care about other issues, but there are some that are more near and dear to my heart. Um, And so um, one of my first ones was helping a school, like a charter school form, because like I think education is really important and we should help people that are trying to educate our population. Of course, the Dalit work, um, we've helped exonerees who I think is underrepresented and underprivileged population. And so I tend to go um, towards people and issues that I have a personal affinity to. But sometimes I just get a call from a partner or a council to help with something and I just enjoy working with them. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to pitch in here. All that to say, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. But I think that if the more you care about the issue, the, the more you'll be invested into Jared's point of now becoming kind of a 501c3 guru. It's like, well, I could spend more time diving in here. And now here's this special area that can be extended to um, non-billable work too. Yeah. I mean, I, I view it the same way I view any sort of billable work. If I have time to work on it, I usually just say yes. I'm not picky because you never really know what issues are going to come up. There's always a learning experience and you know the people are usually pretty interesting. So if I have the capacity, I mean, now in my career, I'm kind of consulting on lots of different projects. So I may not be kind of the primary person working on things and diving into all of the research, but but you see different issues. In a when someone says we have a, a nonprofit incorporation, you've done three dozen of them. It seems like, hey, this is just going to be the same thing all over again. Like, how interesting could it be? But there's there are always new issues, especially for the smaller organizations, because they, as we often see in the tax law, the you know the laws were written earlier point in time, and they don't always keep up right with what people want to do now. And so, and that's particularly true in the tax exempt space. And so, oftentimes we're trying to you know apply. We're trying to apply rules that don't always kind of fit with what people are doing on the ground. And so there are always kind of interesting legal questions that come up. Do you think it's made you better at the day job? And if so, any concrete examples that come to mind of, hey, I worked on this and it came up in some more traditional billable work in some other weird way? Outside of my tax specific pro bono work, I've done a few things that kind of give you trial experience. I do a lot of tax controversy and one of my first pro bono projects at the firm was actually a guardian ad litem case um, where mom and dad disagreed and we were representing the interests of the child. And we went to court a number of times and it was the first time I had stood up in a courtroom and presented myself to a judge, uh, which was just an experience I probably I still haven't had on a billable matter. And so it's probably a, a year or two out, but an experience I could do pretty early on in 
in another case. It also allowed me to prepare witnesses and create witness outlines and organize evidentiary binders, all of which I wouldn't have been doing for some time unless we have an imminent trial, which we know doesn't actually happen that often. And I had my very first traditional trial experience where you're prepared to go to trial in a month before is when it settles, right? And so I got to live out the whole cycle of a case pretty early in this pro bono space. And I mean, one of the perks to be against getting is all the resources that are available to you in a billable matter are also available in a non-billable space. So I got to work with excellent staff throughout the firm to help us prepare for um, that particular hearing and then trial, which was an excellent experience to get, what, two years into my time here. You touch on something I want to unpack there a little bit, Sanisa. I had a conversation with some students a little while back on one of the many recruiting things that we do. And some of them said, I'm thinking about doing a big firm, but I want to do public interest. You know, I don't, I don't want to, without saying it directly, I don't want to sell out. I want to do good work. I want to help people, but I understand I have bills to pay as well. Are there opportunities to do this in, in a big firm? And will I be able to, given all the hours I have to put in? And I think what you said there kind of is an answer to that question, right? So can you guys kind of unpack that for us a, a little bit, right? Kind of being able to do this great work that helps society at the firm and the benefits of doing it at the firm as opposed to trying to do it while on your own or in a, or in a smaller shop. When you do a pro bono project at a big firm, you have all the firm's resources at your disposal. Like I could call the same legal assistance that we would use for a tax trial to help me in this DAL hearing. There are people with so much experience doing hearings and doing trials, and they're happy to moot you and run through a colloquy with you. And we match our hours one-to-one with pro bono and billable work. And so every hour I spent on a pro bono matter also counted towards my billable hours for the year. And so while, yes, the majority of my time is not doing pro bono, you can carve out a good chunk of your time where you're doing work that's really meaningful to you, particularly in our pro bono department, where you're invited to bring in cases and issues that matter to you. So if you have a pro bono matter you want to take in, they're happy to let you do it as long as you kind of help staff it and you put in the time to manage that project. I mean, I, I started my career at Scott, so I can't speak to anywhere else, but you know, if you call someone and say, I have this issue, tax issue or any issue, and I want to bounce it off you, no one is going to say, well, is this for a pro bono client or for a billable client, right? Like you are going to get the resources are available. People are happy to help, happy to consult. And so it's pretty invaluable, I think. I'll also note that my pro bono, some of my pro bono work has gotten me billable work. Like they're like, oh, you've done this nonprofit type work before, you know, the area of the code you're supposed to be looking in. Can you help with this thing or that thing? Um, thanks, Jared, uh, for looping me in on some of those. But that, but there's crossover. And so it doesn't put you in a silo by doing pro bono either. Do you, especially when in the context of 501c3 formation, can you talk about any difference, if there is one, between those kinds of organizations and like billable matters are clients clients or or there are there differences in clients (laughs) something that jared said was really interesting of you know regular businesses might set out to do their mission and then think about the tax aspect later while in the 501c3 space they like the tax exemption is the directive that then opens 
it opens up their, their possibilities. So they might be thinking about tax earlier in the life cycle and throughout them, you know, starting their business. And I wonder if at all in your experience, you've noticed maybe a different level of engagement or just a difference in uh, working with those kinds of clients. Yeah. I mean, in the 501c3 space in particular, with with a, a for-profit company, they might say, I want to, I want to do this. And, you know, we might say, well, you know, that's going to cost this much in taxes, right? That's going to be taxable or non-taxable. And th- there's a decision point, where, like we think the cost is, you know, that's just a cost, right? And so we're going to either go forward with it or not, but it's going to just go into that calculus. Whereas with a 501c3, sometimes, you know, oftentimes there's a gray area. Sometimes there's black and white and, you know, you want to uh, start X program and, that just might not fit within, you know, the IRS guidelines for what is charitable or educational, et cetera, right? And so the answer might be no, and then they need to pivot. And sometimes you can make kind of changes on the edges, but tax, there are parameters that you need to stay within. It's not just a cost, but it's, is this an exempt activity or not? And so that, you know, is definitely a distinction. I mean, the other distinction in terms of just the kind of personal aspect, right? Like people that work in, oftentimes the organizations we work with are, resource stretched, right? Like their funding is not coming from selling products or providing services. They're coming coming from donors, right? And sometimes that can be limited. It it changes like with with all businesses, with the economy and with the tax law and, you know, how valuable charitable donations are to, to donors. And so, you know, with fewer resources, right, they, some, they often need a lot more help, but on, on the flip side, they're also oftentimes very personally engaged in the mission, right? I mean, people are passionate about their jobs across the spectrum, but in a nonprofit space, I mean, I work a lot with nonprofit organizations that deal with women's rights, right? And with the, what's the with the Dobbs decision, you know, this stuff is personal, right? Or prison reform, for example, like this stuff is personal to people. And so you really sort of need to understand that in going in or explaining the tax a lot of people, but it has an impact, right? It has an impact on people, that they're serving has an impact of people that are working in these organizations and sort of understanding that is a, is a different d- dynamic than, you know, it might be for like a multinational company. What, what I'm taking from this is you can't do good in society without knowing tax. So you need tax people if you're going to do anything good. I think you're right, David. The only thing I'll add is that in some types of the pro bono I do, or for some of the less, the smaller um, nonprofits we're forming, you're doing quite a bit of education. Um, I think that some of my billable clients, they're just a little more savvy. There's a tax department that you're talking to. So when you're talking tax to them, they get it. Particularly while amending returns, it's like, what's the schedule? What's this line? And like, you're literally teaching, which is a good practice, I think, especially for a junior attorney to like learn how to talk tax to non-tax people. And so that is fun. But but sometimes challenging for like, how do I word this? And and then we reach up and say, how would you say this to someone? Because I don't think they're getting it. Yeah, we're not talking to tax directors for the vote, right? They're, they're just, you don't have that position in, in most nonprofit organizations. I mean, maybe then some, but uh, you know, at best you're dealing with the CFO, usually a general counsel. And so the background is not always tax. And yeah, it's a different conversation. That's a great point. Very much is educating, I think, in a lot of respects. So for all of the future attorneys out there, the young attorneys in folks in law school. Remember, if you want to do good, you got to learn tax. I think that's the punchline. Yeah, for sure. We can put that on a shirt. We're going to have to try <laughs> to get it a little. Exactly. I'm, I'm getting a t-shirt printed. You want to do good, you got to learn tax. You want to do well, you have to learn tax. Like That's pretty much the only thing that's worth doing if you're in law school right now. <laughs> exactly. Tax. 
Sinisa and Jared, um, we're kind of getting close to wrapping. So before we, you know, we do any final thoughts? I would just remind people to use their pro bono to not only help others, but expand their skills. There's so many things you can do in pro bono, even within just the realm of tax pro bono. Uh, that'll make you a better lawyer while contributing to society. Spend some time. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great lesson, especially for people like me that may be afraid of pro bono because oftentimes it involves things that are outside of your comfort zone. You can stick with your day job and still do good. So I think that's a... I hear you. I appreciate that. Sinisa, Jared, thank you guys so much for your time. Once again, this was Guilty Conscience. Thank you all for listening. Thanks all. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Guilty Conscience. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future conversations. Skadden's tax team is recognized globally for providing clients with creative and innovative solutions to their most pressing transactional, planning, and controversy challenges. Additional information about Skadden can be found at skadden.com. 